Uh, opening scripture is from James chapter 5, the second half of verse 16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And uh, last week I kind of gave you the report on what, it, what was going on at EBC and some of the concerns that uh, they had, and especially the pastor himself and as far as the church's response to that and um, their mechanism for government, uh, the way they're set up, he's a hired pastor, so he can be a fired pastor, and that's pretty much what he expected, that they wouldn't want to bother with the issue. And um, we gathered Friday night for the Engage Night, and we prayed for EBC. We prayed for the pastor. And so Sunday night I called the um, worship pastor because the pastor is down in uh, Carolina with his kids and with his wife working on putting their marriage back together. And uh, I asked Dan, you know, so how did it go? And he said, well, we, Saturday night we called a meeting. Now, they had no idea we prayed for them Friday night. They were not aware of that. And um, so he said, we called a meeting Saturday night to announce to the church what had happened and uh, some decisions that were made. And as people began to come, the pastor himself made a decision that he should be the one, um, which he hadn't had made that decision on Friday morning, but he decided after our conversation, he should be the one to talk to the body. And uh, he said it was amazing, just amazing how the people embraced him, reached out to him, encouraged him. Listen, uh, don't give up. We're going to push through. We're going to stand with you. We want you here. Uh, don't let the enemy rob this church of what's happening in the unity in this area. We know this is just an attack. We won't, you know, it was awesome. And he said, and then Sunday morning when they came to worship, he said, um, I think it's the most charismatic I've ever seen our Baptist church be. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, the effectual fervent prayer of some righteous people does a whole bunch. You know, we really do quite a bit. And this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything, and, and here's the catchphrase, you've got to get a hold of this. If we ask anything according to his will. Okay? Because a lot of us pray, let's be honest, according to my want. <laughs> according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Prayer is simply communication with God. All of us long to connect with someone who can identify with our circumstances and share in our day-to-day -day life. Prayer is just that, a personal experience, an intimate connection with our loving Father. And nobody wants us to connect with God in prayer more than God himself. Listen as God expresses his heart's longing toward us, and not only to us who love him, but also uh, to those who don't. This is from Isaiah 65 in the Message Bible. 
He says this, I've made myself available. Now, if that was the only thing you found written in the Bible with a big period, it would be enough. I've made myself available. You know, there are a lot of people who go through life and, and their religious philosophy is this. You know, yeah, there's a God. He came along, he created everything, you know, made man, breathed life into him, and, you know, set the, the garden up and put things in motion and then said, see ya. You know, and he's off somewhere in the deep, dark cosmos and uh, could care less what's going on in your life. You know, don't, don't bother to pray. Don't cry out to God. He's not hearing you. He's far away. He's doing his own thing. Maybe he's creating another universe, but there's no personal con- connection. But that is not what the prophet Isaiah is saying. I have made myself available. He's available to you, folks. To those who haven't bothered to ask. I'm here, ready to be found by those who haven't bothered to look. I kept saying, I'm here, I'm right here, hello. To a nation that ignored me. I reached out day after day to a people who turned their backs on me, people who make wrong turns. <laughs> Did anyone here ever make a wrong turn? <laughs> And then, then he defines wrong turn, who insist on doing things their own way. Mm. But he's still here, still reaching out. Intimacy in prayer is the incubator of all true spiritual life. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask, See, there's the prayer. Whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. Intimate prayer. Intimacy in prayer is both the natural and the effective expression of true spiritual power. Listen to James. He says, are you hurting? Anyone hurting? Pray. Wow. Simple. You hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? Sing. Are you sick? Call for the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the Master. Believing prayer will heal you. Believing prayer, now that isn't, oh, I believe what they're praying, I believe what I'm hearing. No, 
believing prayer, praying like you really believe it, praying that you trust that God is hearing you, that you trust that God is going to respond to your prayer. You trust that God is your loving Father. See, that's believing prayer. And Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven, healed inside and out. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Elijah, for instance, human just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't. Not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain, and it did. The showers came, and everything started growing again. Prayer is powerful. It's interesting to me that in the Gospels, when Jesus addresses the issue of prayer, he often directs us toward genuine, intimate, and focused prayer, but he always seems to be instructing us with an expressed assumption that we have a prayer life to start with. Listen to this in Matthew 6. Jesus is speaking to his followers. When you pray, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, don't be like those show-offs who love to stand up and pray in the meeting places and on the street corners. They do this just to look good. I can assure you that they have already have their reward. When you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, go into a room alone, close the door, pray to your Father in heaven. When you pray, don't talk on and on as people do and who don't know God. They think God likes to hear long prayers. <laughs> don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. You should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, help us to honor your name. Do you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, have an intimate prayer life with him? Not just a prayer life, a prayer life with him. You see, prayer isn't one way. Prayer is conversation, it's dialogue. He considers prayer as absolutely essential to your walk. In Mark 11, he says this. This is out of the Message Bible. Jesus was matter-of-fact in saying this. Embrace this God life. Really embrace it. And nothing will be too much for you. This mountain, for instance, just say, go jump in the lake. No shuffling, no shilly-shallying. It's as good as done. That's why I urge you to pray for absolutely everything. Isn't it funny, the things that compel us to pray? It's usually crisis mode, isn't it? Jesus says pray for absolutely everything. I remember years ago, Martha uh, brought my attention to a story she was reading about a missionary couple who were in a 
very hostile uh, anti-gospel nation. Um, the missionaries there were few and far between, and uh, many of them had been martyred, uh, had been stealthily killed in various ways. It wasn't so much that they'd be publicly executed, but uh, so they got in the habit. They had been uh, food poisoned two or three times, buying things at the market, and they discovered that that was purposeful. And so they would get their food, and they would prepare it, and they'd put it on the table, and let's just say for the sake of the conversation, they'd have a, you know, a piece of meat and potatoes and yams and peas, and they'd say, all right, Lord, should we eat these peas today? Is it safe for us to eat these peas? And they would pray. I mean, earnestly pray, because if they didn't, it could cost them their lives. They prayed about everything. And they were successful in their mission. Those who didn't, some of them, it cost them their lives. How many blessings have we missed by not praying about things that we don't feel are dangerous to us, things that we don't feel are a crisis to us, things that we don't feel, well, this is what I really need. One of the really awesome things about uh, doing short-term missions in Africa, uh, they've got this habit, and I, I think it's true in every African nation I've been in, uh, number one is they know how to pack a van. Okay. And I mean with people. We, we had one minivan with 27 of us in and on it. I, come on, Henry, right? <laughs> you know how it is, right? And they'd get you all in there, and before they'd start their engine, we'd spend 15 minutes in praying about where we were going and the act of getting there. It didn't matter if it was two blocks away or if you were going out into the bush, before that engine started, you prayed. Because okay? it might cost you your life. Pray for absolutely everything, ranging from small to large. Include everything as you embrace this God life, and you'll get God's everything. I think his everything is bigger than mine. I think his everything is more desirous than mine. Okay. And when you assume the posture of prayer, remember that it's not all asking. If you have anything against someone, forgive. Only then will your heavenly Father be inclined to also wipe your slate clean of sins. Isn't that good? The level of intimacy is increased with the added power of corporate prayer. I, I got to say, that was really delivered home yesterday. There was a lot of power in that room, a lot of power. It was awesome. I want, I want to share a little story out of the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, Yet again the people of Israel went back to doing evil in God's sight. And God put them under the domination of Midian for seven years. Midian overpowered Israel, 
And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves hideouts in the mountains and caves and forts. When Israel planted its crops, Midian and Amalek, the Easterners, would invade them, camp in their fields and destroy their crops all the way down to Gaza. They left nothing for them to live on, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. Bringing their cattle in tents, they came in and took over like an invasion of locusts. And their camels, past counting, they marched in and devastated the country. The people of Israel, reduced to grinding poverty by Midian, cried out to God for help. And one time, when the people of Israel had cried out to God because of Midian, God sent them a prophet with this message. God, the God of Israel, says, I delivered you from Egypt. I freed you from a life of slavery. I rescued you from Egypt's brutality and then from every oppressor. I pushed them out of your way and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am God, your God. Don't for a minute be afraid of the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but you didn't listen to me. One day, the angel of God came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah, and, which belonged to Joas the Abyssalite, whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress out of the sight of the Midianites. The angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. Gideon replied, With me, my master? If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about, telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He has turned us over to Midian. But God faced him directly. Go in this strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? Gideon said to him, Me, my master? How and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the litter. God said to him, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. The problem with God's people throughout the book of Judges, and quite frankly, even today, often, is summed up in the last two verses of the book of Judges. It says, And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from there, every man to his own inheritance. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What God does with Gideon is he connects Gideon's personal weakness into the strength of the corporate whole. He becomes a type and a shadow of the body of Christ, the church in spiritual warfare. And the power of the spiritual principle of unity is virtually unstoppable. I believe that is what we put into motion last Friday when we as a, a believing community prayed in faith for EBC as part of the corporate body of Christ, and even though they were unaware of our prayers, they seem to have been impacted by them and have made decisions that seem to be from the heart of God. Unity 
is a source of unparalleled blessings. The psalmist in Psalm 133 writes, a song of a sense of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard and on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, that won't make a whole lot of sense to most of us. What the heck does that mean? Oil on Aaron's head and running down his beard. What kind of blessing is that? That blessing established the priesthood. It established the ability for a people, called the people of God, to communicate with their living God in ways that would, would prosper the lives that they were called to live. That's the kind of blessing that unity brings. We become suddenly a royal priesthood a group of people ordained of God to minister the grace of God to a people, some who don't even know him. Suddenly we become alive with Christ's compassion. We become enlivened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Gifts of healing and deliverance begin to happen. People come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and their lives are changed because unity commands a blessing. And that blessing isn't just for the one getting the oil dumped on his head. It's for those who receive the ministry that that anointing brings forth. Let me show you what a Christian prayer meeting should look like and sound like when that connection is made. And uh, I thought we came pretty close yesterday. When the day of Pentecost arrived, now I got to give you a little information here. When the day of Pentecost, that, that when reflects back to a starting point. Something was already in process, and what was in process was they had been praying 24 hours a day for 10 days. Jesus said, go into Jerusalem and wait until you're endued with power from on high. 120 of them locked themselves away in an upper room and began to pray. And 10 days later, their prayer was answered. Now, we had three hours, and I thought, wow. (laughs) 10 days. I I can tell you this story. This was so awesome. I think it was our fourth trip into Liberia. And... uh, we had gone in to conduct a crusade. We, we had gotten a hold of the largest soccer stadium in the capital of Monrovia, Liberia. Uh, we went in ad, in advance, a month in advance, to begin to prepare Christian workers and gather the churches and uh, just get this thing rolling. And the last week was going to be this week-long revival. And uh, So the second day in, Uh, Some of the local pastors invited us to take a ride out to the countryside, um, and they said, we want to show you our intercessors. And I said, okay. So their intercessors were uh, 30 women. Love the women in the church. And they had already been praying for 20 days. Now, what they had, they had the basement of a church, 
They had white sheets on the floor and bottled drinking water. There's no food. They had been there 20 days. The, the full prayer was scheduled for 40 days of fasting and prayer for these women. Now, we walked in on day 20. I got out of the van, and it's, it's hot. You know, average temperature over there, like 100, 110, you know, and, and it's wet. And get out of the van, and we walked through the door, and I could not speak in English. The anointing and presence of the Holy Spirit was so powerful, I could not speak in English. I opened my mouth, and I was speaking in languages I didn't know. It was amazing. If I spoke in English, it was to prophesy. It was so heavy, I had to run out of the building and, and like, what the heck is that? I, and I went back in, and it was just the same. It was just the same. I could not speak English. It was all in tongues. And every team member was just overwhelmed with the presence that was drawn in by these women who had dedicated themselves to fasting and prayer for the purposes of God. They had united themselves to a vision that was coming from the other side of the world, and they had produced an atmosphere that was thick with the presence of God. We had 14,000 salvations a day for that crusade. We started it off with a soccer match. Soccer's the big thing over there. We went to hire two professional soccer teams to play. We walked into the manager's office, and it looked like uh, a Playboy club. He had more pictures of nude women on the wall, and, and we're all going like this, <laughs> trying to talk to him. We said, we don't want this guy. So we said, no, we, we can't work with you. And we left, and we walked out on the street, and this guy approached us. I heard you're looking for soccer teams. Said, yeah, he says, we got the best teams, uh, draw the best crowds in this country. And, and all it'll cost you is you have to buy them the two teams' uniforms. They don't have uniforms. So we can do that. Uh, who are they? He said, well, one group's the blind, and the other's the cripples. <laughs> right? And I said, you're kidding, right? He said, no, no. You, what? He said, they've played two games. The blind won one, and the cripples won the other. So this would be a playoff. And when they play, everybody comes out. They had a soccer ball with a bell in it. They had guys who ran down the field on their hands like spiders because they had no legs. They had been blown off by mines in the war. So we're setting up this thing in... in in the stadium, and we're bringing in these big barrels of water, these drums of water, and it's 120 degrees. I have to wear a tie, right? I am dripping. It's just the organization I was working for at that time. You had to wear a tie. So I bought the water, you know? So they opened one of the drums, and I had a, a brand-new clean handkerchief, and I dipped it in that water, and just, ugh. And this guy came running down from the top bleacher and began to blast me about dipping my hanky in that water. And I 
blew a cork, man. I, hot and I'm tired. And it's like we're having this argument, right? And these two buses pull up as we're arguing, and the doors open, and here comes these guys walking out of the bus on their hands. Because they don't have legs. And I just began to weep. Because they were better men than I that day. Turned out the guy that was yelling at me was like a high bishop. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. So I, I did repent to him and apologize. And, and that all turned out. But I don't know why I went down that line. But it was a, an awesome story. I've got I've got their game on video. If you ever want to see a great soccer game, the blind and the cripple, and uh, no one won. But at halftime, they gave their testimonies, and everybody won. Everybody won. Right? Oh yeah, the intercessors, yeah, the unity. So, anyways, this is what a Christian prayer meeting should look like. The day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. A united Christian prayer meeting is an invitation for heaven to invade earth. When we pray in unity, I mean really pray in unity, the Spirit comes. When the Spirit comes, all bets are off. Everything is a possibility. And just in case you think that was an isolated instance, the scriptures seem to indicate that it may have been the norm for the early church in Acts 4, it says, and when they had prayed, doesn't say they had a you know, worship service or it wasn't a big shebang, it wasn't, you know, they just, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The full number of those who believed were one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Christian prayer, intimacy, and unity equals power. So let me conclude with the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus regarding spiritual warfare. And again, I've taken this from the Message Bible just to give us a, uh, a different view of these scriptures. You're all familiar with the armor of God and, and all of that. And sometimes it just becomes rote, you know. That about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to you so you will be able to stand up 
to everything the devil throws your ways. And I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, he's begun to hurl some stuff. Stuff is flying in the spirit realm. And you know what? Y'all got targets on your backs. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. I want you to turn to somebody and say, I need you. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, Prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. I'll say that again. Prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and your sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. And don't forget to pray for me. Pray that I'll know what to say and have the courage to say it at the right time, telling the mystery to one and all, the message that I, jailbird preacher that I am, am responsible for getting out. I like that. (laughs) Very apropos. So today what I'd like to do is just uh, ask any, any of the prayer team members that are here, if you guys would just come up front here. Yo, perhaps today you have need of prayer. Maybe there's some stuff going on in your life. Maybe, you know, the enemy's been not only hurling, but hitting the mark. You can't fend them off by yourself. We need each other. Yo, maybe today you'd just like to ask for some prayer to, uh, for that anointing oil to come on you for, for that a unity for that priesthood so you can step into a role as a prayer warrior. Maybe you've wondered what it would be like to really pray and, and see God move effectively, to, to see, you know, hear your prayer go out and then see it answered in the life of someone. You know, that comes by the anointing of God. It comes by uniting yourself to the purposes of God at such a time as this. And I got to tell you, this is the time for that because God has begun to move.